Hello, and welcome back to our second in our Rambo series. For this episode, Elijah, Graham and myself are going to be talking about Rambo First Blood Part 2. Now, this film is set three years after the events of the first film, First Blood. If you don't know anything about that, please check out our earlier podcast. In this film, Colonel Sam Troutman, played by Richard Carina, arranges for John Rambo, Sylvester Stallone, to be released from prison for a special mission. He is to go back in a clandestine manner, back into Vietnam, and investigate a former prisoner of war camp and identify if there are still Americans being held there. However, the mission has unexpected consequences for both John Rambo and the people he does find in Vietnam. So although the Rambo character was originally killed in the book, the book's author, David Morrell, actually wrote the novelization of the script. In fact, the script was in part written by James Cameron, although much of what he wrote was discarded by Sylvester Stallone, who rewrote it. In Cameron's script, there was to have been a wise-cracking sidekick offered to John Travolta, and there would have been more action and less politics. Despite or because of all these changes, Rambo First Blood Part 2 was a huge box office hit worldwide. Now, the first thing that is striking in the sequel, uh, which moves between Cameron's action and Stallone's right-wing politics, although he constantly denies being a Republican, more on that as we go through the series, is the absence of the post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSS, theme, which was very prevalent in First Blood. Whereas First Blood dealt with bringing the war home, this sequel under Reagan policies is about going back, fighting and winning the war this time. Also, taking on and beating the Russians who were funding the Vietnam economy at the time. That upbeat, we can do it nature, is really important with this and with Rocky IV, which was released the same year, because Stallone makes interesting points about both American and Russian relations. As for President Reagan, he loved the movie, saying back in 1985 how to handle a potential hostage crisis with the words, boy, after seeing Rambo last night, I know what to do the next time this happens. I would add that was an off-air remark accidentally picked up by the microphones near him. Elijah, your first thoughts on Rambo First Blood Part 2. Um, I think Rambo First Blood Part 2 had a really good start that uh, was a little bit reminiscent of the tone and um, pace of the first film. And then it just becomes The Expendables. And he kills hundreds of people. <laughs> it's insane. Graham, your thoughts on Rambo First Blood Part 2? Not a big fan. I liked all the bits dealing with Rambo in his head and and that sort of thing. And the second film was... Although it was a huge hit, it just didn't work for me. They upped the violence, they upped the gore. They left all the PTSS behind. They set it in Vietnam as if, you know, the only the only reason we lost the Vietnam War is because we didn't have Rambo. He'd have sorted them out in an afternoon. And it was just a bit too rah-rah for me. Didn't work at all. That's an interesting point. And I just want to step back because I think there are, again some serious political considerations behind the film. So Rambo is sent back in to look for POWs. And again, we're looking at an era. This is now over 10 years has passed since the end of the Vietnam War. At the time of filming, there were approximately 2,500 soldiers still missing from the war. Now, I would stress that 
now because we've got cooperation with Vietnam and because remains have been returned, that figure is down to 1,600. And a lot of those were planes that crashed, so they couldn't find them. However, with that figure of 2,500, there was a belief they were still being held in prisoner war camps. This is a direct contravention of the 1973 Paris Peace Accord. This belief grew and grew, and during the 1980s, various attempts at rescuing were undertaken by ex-forces men such as Bo Gritz and Scott Barnes. Both men were deemed as controversial, had very controversial track records. Despite them going in-country, they never returned with any POWs. In fact, in the early 1990s, the United States Senate Select Committee on POWMIA Affairs, led by, amongst others, John Kerry and John McCain, both of whom had served in Vietnam, found, and I quote, no compelling evidence that proves any American remains in captivity in Southeast Asia, end quote. To be honest, I can understand that because you've got a country that's very poor, You've got farmers that work for next to nothing, almost on slave labor in Vietnam. Why on earth would you keep people alive and have to feed them for very menial tasks when you're not getting anything out of them? The whole premise, to me, seems crazy. I think the premise, while it it tried to point out the fact that there were soldiers missing, it seemed at the end to kind of be a a government corruption dig. Again, you know, the government trying to shove everything under the carpet, as it were. Which is, you know, a perfectly, perfectly valid message, <laughs> since that's what they did for a lot of the war. You make a very interesting point there, because the enemy in this film are the bureaucrats, more so than mm-hmm. the Vietnamese and the Russians. Sadly, he doesn't get to kill any of the bureaucrats. So. <laughs> and, and I love the point. And again, I didn't see this. I did read about it this after, is that... Um, Every time you see these bureaucrats reviewing their mission, and they're led by the excellent Charles Napier, wonderful actor, usually eating, which reflects their disinterest in the mission, them being there, this is a tick in the box, there's nobody there, and let's move on. So this distrust, both in America and in the UK, of bureaucrats. We all hate them. Yeah, everybody does, yeah. Yeah. Does that reflect your opinion? I think C.S. Lewis, he had a very, very dim view of them. Yeah, and and there's an absolute contempt for them throughout. I mean, you could say in the film you can understand where the Vietnamese are coming from because, you know, they believe they won the war and they're fighting to maintain that. The Russians have a mission which they're trying to do, and again, there's references to Afghanistan. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually wrote the screw tape letters, and hell is essentially a bureaucracy. <laughs> he said, The greatest evil is not now done in sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It's not done even in concentration camps and labor, in labor camps. In those, we see the final result. But it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried, and minuted, in clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lit offices, by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voice. The screw tape letters are, because uh, screw tape is, um, is the devil, isn't he? And he's instructing his young son or cousin yeah, or he, some, something. He's, a, he's a, an older demon who's 
yeah. instructing his nephew demon. His nephew demon, yes, oh yeah, on how to tempt the souls. Interesting. Uh, but I did think that was hilarious that he, you know, he, hell is a bureaucracy. That's the the most evil thing he could he could think of. <laughs> well, I'm probably with him on that. C.S. Lewis was a very strange man. Wrote some good books. Did write some good books. Out of the Silent Planet yeah. is not one of them. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe's good. Uh, the whole Narnia series is fantastic. His space trilogy is... Uh, Terrible. It's more philosophical than scientific. He had no interest in actual science. It was all about the uh, kind of an allegorical meaning behind it. They're very cerebral. Um, philosophically, they're not cerebral when it comes to like... And they're not going to blow your mind with some new science fiction thing. Yeah. C.S. Lewis would have loved that Astro, though. <clears throat> yeah, it's probably written by him. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Ad Astro is far more scientific than people are giving it credit for. Oh, jeez. Okay. Hey, that Gizmodo article was flawed from the get-go. There's a whole podcast there between us. We, we need to get Neil to watch it and see what side he okay. gets down on. So let's go back to the Vietnam War and the, <laughs> the subject of POWs and American bureaucrats. Yeah, and yeah. there's more contempt for these people because also they betray him. I mean, the Vietnamese and the Russians yeah. act out as you'd expect them to act out, yeah. but the bureaucrats leave Rambo stranded behind enemy lines at exactly. one point in the film. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that, that whole... And it's interesting because Reagan and his people really enjoyed the film, but Reagan dealt with bureaucrats all the time. Allegedly. Mm -hmm. But he himself wasn't, aside from, you know, running for governor in California and being there for a while, he wasn't himself a, a politician per se, like a, a lot of others were. This film came at the time of the height of Reagan's popularity. You know, this, we can do it. We can do whatever. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. When he Berlin said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And all of this sort of things, you know, his stance against the Russians, which is reflected both in this and in Rocky IV. Yeah. It's really sort of, I, I find that fascinating that you've got this character with this we can do it attitude. And then you lift this Rambo character on top of that. And he goes back into Vietnam. He finds the POWs. He rescues the POWs. And he tells the government, in effect, stop screwing around. You know there are others out there. Go get them. Bring them home. And that part of Russia, you know, this whole thing about how Russia comes in, when Rambo's captured, the Vietnamese call in Stephen Burkhoff, yeah. that great British actor who's always good at playing Russians. And that's interesting because... Russia heavily funded Vietnam. Now, this is something I found out when I was doing some research on this. So when the Vietnam War was going on, China cleared a path for Russia to send hardware and cash and everything to them. China didn't really take a great deal of interest in, in Vietnam. They don't get on. No. They never have. And to this day, there's still a lot of animosity between the two countries. But what was really fascinating, I found out, is that Russia funded Vietnam with $11 billion after the end of the war to, for the reconstruction right up to 1990, and virtually none of it was repaid. Given the fact that the Russians were overstretched in Afghanistan at the time and were almost bankrupted there, this put the icing on the cake for them. So in effect, Vietnam beat both America and Russia. <laughs> nice one. 
so but I, we were still the ones who got our men on the moon. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your men on the moon. Yeah, That's and, the main uh, thing. Yeah, just shows again. So you got the bureaucracy of America. You got the bureaucracy of Russia, and they were both taken in by a con artist. Yes, nice one. It's really strange. But again, this anti-Russian sentiment that runs through this, which is what Reagan was trying to put across at that time. Yeah, you it know, was the whole we, Star Wars can, thing he, he did, you know. Star Wars, we can, you know, and pushing them in Afghanistan, which is happening. Still bitter that we don't have the Star Wars program. That would have been awesome. <laughs> so yeah, just from a tech point of view. I don't think it would have made the planet any safer. But, <laughs> well, as, as what came out when Russia did collapse, that most of their nuclear missiles didn't actually work. They wouldn't have even got <laughs> off the ground. Yeah, because of the clockwork uh, guidance system, yeah. But again, I just love the fact that, you know, in all of this, so you've got this situation where you've got a mythology that's grown up about prisoners of war, yeah, which wasn't real, certainly not at that time. And in fact, there was a raid towards the end of the war, the Green Berets did, and they went into a POW camp and it had been left, it hadn't been used for years. Wow. So, okay. um, yeah, that was that was a interesting uh, documentary on that as well. It was really good, that how they planned it, they got there. And there was nothing there. So the Paris Peace Accords were right in what they were trying to do, and they were, I guess, to an extent, honoured. So you've got that. You've got the fact that he goes back in, and essentially Rambo wins the Vietnam War. They send him in, he wins it. But beating not only the Viet Cong or the Vietnamese, but also the Russians as well. And I think that's what annoyed me about this film a bit. After the first one dealing with you know a real emotional struggle, the second one is he goes in, he finds the POWs, he's the good guy, he plays up against the bureaucrats and you know, and saves the day in the end and fights the Russians. And I thought it was just not as good a story. It's very gory, it's very okay. there's a lot of there's a lot of death right. in this one, but it doesn't really tell me anything intrinsic about Rambo, the character, he just becomes G.I. Joe, an action well, figure. Well, a cipher. I, th- I think a yeah, cipher. He, it's, a, it's very cliche. Yes, yes. I mean, exactly. the girl and the girl that saves him, you yeah. know, they have their, they share a kiss, and he's like, I'll bring you home, and then she gets shot like 12 machine guns, yeah. which was way overkill. Yeah, I accept you saying, and we'll, we'll go on, we'll touch that in a moment, but the point is you went from Nixon to 10 years later to Reagan and the whole thing had changed completely. So you've got this film. Now, I saw this film in the cinema when it first came out, and it was packed. And that was in the UK. Yeah. You know, the impact it had across America got that line at the very end of the film. And we're talking about the bureaucrats. There's a line that said at the, at the end of the film where they say to Rambo, he's brought the POWs back, what do you want? I want... What they want, and every other guy who came over here has built his guts and gave everything he had once for our country to love us as much as we love it. That's what I want. That belief in oneself and country that had come back in that 10 years. And again, it's very anti-bureaucratic. I have a a little interesting anecdote from my father-in-law. Well, he was in uh, Vietnam 
there was a North Vietnamese man who traveled down South to visit some family. And when he'd come back up North, his entire family up there had been slaughtered and killed by the Viet Cong. Wow. And uh, he could speak perfect English. So he joined the Marines as a scout interpreter. And every night he would go out with a pistol and a knife and he would come back and they'd ask him how many he killed. And he'd, you know, show four or five fingers. He essentially just went out and assassinated Viet Cong. As revenge for his family. Yeah. Every northern Vietnamese person that he met, he killed, according to my grandfather-in-law. We're into apocalypse now territory yeah, now, we sure aren't we? Are. Yeah. yeah, He was the Vietnamese Rambo. And, and how did that squad or platoon treat that chap? Apparently they were pretty friendly with him. No one wanted to die in their sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. That's Good call. Uh, Yeah, that's always a, bi- a bonus, not dying in your sleep, yeah. But these are the type of people you want on your side. Yeah, you don't want them yeah. as the enemy, no. But this comes down, and again, this goes back to the Vietnam War thing that we spoke about with First Blood, is having that focus. If you have a focus, it's, it's very easy. And again, Apocalypse Now is is probably the best yeah. to, to, to describe all of this. But Okay, so we've had a look at the history, and let's, let's look at the film itself. Now, one thing that I do like about the film, as I said, when I saw it, it was... It was packed. It played for weeks where I was. It looks fantastic. Jack Cardiff was the cinematographer, because cinematographer on such films as The African Queen. That was really amazing. George Pan Cosmatos, who was the director, directed films like Escape to Athena and went on to direct films such as Tombstone. So he had good action chops, if you like. And I I thought he did Mm -hmm. uh, a really good job on that. And that sequence where... After the girls killed, Rambo's killing just about everybody that moves, really, mainly yeah. Russians, but yeah. just about anybody that moves. I thought that was really well handled. Complete fantasy, obviously, whereas First Blood, a lot of First Blood you could see as a reality. This is a complete fantasy. But I thought, yeah, you know. And again, the, in the second film, the editing picks up. So it is well edited and well put together, and you never lose your place. You always know who he's attacking and and... Well, basically, because there's a lot of blood the other side of him, so you know who, where he's been. But it's certainly, yeah. it's certainly well put together. Again, I'd love to know the differences between what Cameron wrote and what Stallone wrote. You know, which bits are which. Yeah, that would be an yeah. interesting. Yeah, well, going back to what Elijah said at the beginning, I'd have loved to have seen that bit where, um, you know, John Travolta was his, like, uh, sidekick. And by the way... The, Travolta, that was quite serious because Stallone, prior to this, had directed Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, and he got on very well with John Travolta. Oh, so right. uh, that that could well have happened. Joking in a Rambo film just kind of seems really out of place. They're not really funny films or films you go to to hear the banter. Uh, that that is very fair. Yeah, there's no there's no one liners on this, but. The series hadn't really been defined, and this is only the second film, so they could have taken it in any direction this time. Yeah, I think. I think the first film it's it's so much a toned down action film. Yes, you know, there's no big fist fight at the end. You know, he's not going up against this one big enemy and just beating him to a pulp, and both of them are beating each other's faces into little bloody little bags of meat, like in so many other films. Or, as in this case, a big helicopter battle in the end. Yeah. 
And, and that's my point, Elijah, where I keep coming back to the first one is just such an interesting film because it doesn't have any of the usual Hollywood tropes that we're used to now. You know, the third act just being nonstop silly action. The third act in Rambo is really quite introspective. And this one, it's all about him blowing a bunch of crap up and shooting yeah. every single person alive <laughs> in this camp. Yeah. Yeah, as you say, he kills hundreds in this film. Yeah. And Yeah, and it, it is such a huge departure, and it's something that doesn't change as the series goes on. But uh, it that, is interesting. That That is an interesting point, because it... You know, if the, if the first film just stands apart from the rest of them, the rest of them are all very much the same sort of three acts with a big action sequence and maybe a helicopter in all of them except the fourth one, Rambo. Um, but they all follow the same pattern. The first one was very iconic. When I watch a lot of films, action films from the 80s, I mean, they usually end with a big finale where two buff dudes are punching each other in the face yeah and it looks like a wwe match you know one guy's punching the other dude in the face six times and then suddenly the other guy is up and you know ignoring all the blows he took to the face and the 12 concussions he now has he's going at it on the other person yep Um, and it subverted that so well commando comes to mind funny enough as the film as you say this i can see that straight away one thing where this film did overlap and did link up with First Blood, as I said, uh, when we spoke about First Blood, I mentioned that it was the Vietnam veteran as deranged or damaged. What we have, and that was the end of that cycle of films, what we have with this is there was a series of these POW rescue films in the mid-'80s, and this sort of came towards the end of that. You had the two best examples were Uncommon Valor with uh, Gene Hackman and Patrick Swayze. Oh, I've seen that. Really, really good little film. And then on the other side, the coin, Missing in Action with Chuck Norris. Oh, good grief. And there was Missing in Action 2 and Mission in Action 3. Of course Why are we back again? Of course Um, Chuck Norris. Yeah. So Rambo fitted in, and again, it... Rather than lead in the cycle, and we're going to see films where it does, but at this point it was definitely following in the cycle. I thought that was intriguing. Uh, One other point I want to make just about the film is it's interesting. This is the film where Rambo is announced as half Native American. Let's talk about the weaponry in this film because one of the interesting things with Rambo is where most films scale up their weaponry and I accept he was flying in a helicopter at the end and shooting loads of Russians but for the most part he was using bow and arrow and knife and I did like that bit I thought that was inventive and something different yeah it's seen throughout all the films Rambo is seen as a truer warrior than those he fights against because his weapons a much more primal. Yeah, I can, I can see where you're the, going uh, there. My, while I was talking to my grandfather-in-law about Vietnam, he told me that the way that they cut people's throats in movies is fake. You'd actually stab them in the neck and push out. Oh, well, thanks for that, Elijah. Oh, you'd love, the beginning, you'd love the beginning of Bone Tomahawk then when they give a description of all of this. Yeah. Um, so, like, <laughs> you push into the neck uh, and pull out. 
Well, no, you, you stab them through the side and then push it out the front because the organs in the throat would keep you from being able to actually do too much damage. So you can survive if you get your throat slit from the front because you're cutting your voice box and all that. Yeah. And not necessarily the, the jugular. I don't know why I mentioned that. but uh, No, no, it's interesting. Again, in, in Bone Tomahawk, they talk about there's 16 major major blood vessels in the throat and you have to cut through all 16. Oh, yeah. great. And this has gone downhill rapidly, <laughs> this this recording. Thank you. But he did. No, in he the did. context, he was saying that there is a Southern Vietnamese captain who would uh, question Viet Cong soldiers, and if they didn't answer him, he'd stab them in the throat with a stiletto and pull it out. Oh, great. So that wouldn't kill him, but that would, that uh, would just inflict oh, a, no, a massive he, amount he, of pain. He stabbed them in the middle of the neck, and then he ripped out the Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. yeah, that would kill him. Yeah, pull, yeah I yeah. see that. Yeah, they, they died pretty quick. Yeah, I'm sure. Good days. And again, huge war, amount of blood. I would have thought war, as well. War is hell. I mean, it is yeah. the worst. Okay, let's wrap this one up then. <laughs> Rambo two. Before we do that, can we just have a quick chat about? Do we think this is a good movie? Do, Jeff, do you think this is... Cause when I, I saw I, it first, when I saw it first, I loved it. I put it in my top 10 films of the year back in 1985. Wow. Yeah, 1985. I thought it was to I saw it a couple of times in the cinema, and I didn't normally do that. I, as an action film, I thought it rattled along. And, it certainly rattles along, but it's a bit soulless. Well, going back to it, I and I sat and watched it with Les, which probably wasn't the smartest thing I've ever did, although she did enjoy First Blood. I was watching it and thinking, yeah, this is very much of the 80s and it just doesn't transcend. And I think that's, you've you've hit the nail on the head. It is an 80s film. I, I think if it had come out without the first Rambo, you know, it would, it would be fine. It would be seen as an above par. Ah, yes, that's a really film. good point. Yes, yeah, I but know. With the first Rambo, which was so far above everything else and so so different, it's like taking twelve step backs and falling into a pit. Now, that's interesting you say that because I think the other one of the other reasons why this really worked. So the early eighties was the explosion of home video. There was a big thing at the time, and um, um, we've spoken about it on one of our earlier podcasts about the fact that when video expanded everybody thought cinema would die. In fact, quite the reverse happened. And one of the reasons was these films with action characters generated such a lot of interest that people couldn't wait for the next installment. So First Blood came out in 82, was a modest hit in the cinema. It was a hit, but it wasn't a brilliant hit. No. Goes on to video. It's massive worldwide. And when First Blood Part 2 comes out, it really touches a nerve. I'd say... Of all the films, this is the one most in tune mm. with its generation. And yes, it's an 80s action film, and you look at the other films, the, the Schwarzenegger films of that period as well, and it's very much in tune with it. It was a big disappointment going back to it, I must admit. Uh, when I first saw it, I loved it. Going yeah. back to it all those years later, it's not as good. Still a well-made, looks-great action movie, but it didn't have the impact that First Blood remains uh, to have on me. Hmm. I, I remember in the 80s watching this video with some cousins of mine, and there were teenagers at the time, boy and a girl, and they said, oh, we'd like to see Rambo. We went to the video shop with them, and I remember we, bought, we got this Rambo 
First Blood Part 2 and Terminator, the first Terminator film. We sat down and we watched them. And I remember Keith turning to me, my cousin, and saying, oh, the Terminator's even bigger than Rambo. And that was his view of films at the time. They were full of action. He just treated them as, as the same. But he liked the Terminator because the Terminator was bigger and more powerful and more badass than Rambo, I suppose. The other- played by a far inferior actor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But but the other thing with films of this period is they were very high concept. There was a huge. I remember reading a, an article on it at the time. I think it was by Kim Newman. I might be wrong on that, but I think it was Kim Newman talking about everything was high concept, and we were in real fear of losing subplots in films. It was just a plot. This is where you're going, and this is where you're going to end up, and there's nothing in between. That's a great idea. Yeah, and and that's you know, but you can look at that in Top Gun. You can look at that less so in Terminator. Terminator does have subplots, but you can you know Conan the Destroyer, which is a, a Schwarzenegger film. Yep. But all of those sort of Predator, even you know, two years later, you've got these films that are very high concept, and nothing stands in between of them. Very linear as well. They just yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Go start to finish. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of films I could learn from that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Films that meander a lot. Okay. Right. Let's back, back to killing, killing back, Viet Cong. Back to killing Viet Cong and Russians. <laughs> and Moving on from a light topic. Yes. Moving on from a light topic. Yeah. Summing up of Rambo 2. If ever a film was in tune with its time, it's this one. While First Blood was a hit in cinemas and a much bigger hit on the expanding video market at the time, Part 2 was the high watermark of the series. Rambo became recognized as a cultural icon. The endorsement by Reagan brought home two aspects of the movie for Americans and the world in general. Vietnam could be one on screen, and the simplicity of Reagan's message matched the disdain for the bureaucrat. However, As popular as the film was, and its links to a political party, it was to prove something of a milestone as the series developed, especially as we move on next time to Rambo 3. Guys, I'm looking forward to speaking to both of you about Rambo Part 3, where we'll go to Afghanistan in our next installment of this ongoing series. I'm glad these films have no relevant to modern day no that's right <laughs> who'd have thought in eh? Afghanistan never heard of it now <laughs> that's in South America right yeah. <laughs> oh I wish um, <laughs> right and on that point yeah. Elijah Graham great to speak to you we'll speak more on this next month's installment thank you very much thanks Jeff cheers
To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, at theflix.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website at theflix.uk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>